Greetings, it's Terry at Cottage in the Court. Happy Cinco de Mayo. I know some of you have been prepping for this. You might even be entertaining outdoors. But you know what? I'm entertaining thoughts of a month from now. Did you know a month from now is the first day of the Philadelphia Flower Show? It will be the first time in its history that it will be held outdoors and honestly with a theme of habitat nature's masterpiece i am going to be looking for new ideas of plants i can grow plant combinations and new garden stuff <laughs> but in order to prepare for this trip, reading a specific book, Monarch, Saving Our Most Loved Butterfly, by a friend of mine, Kylie Baumel. That to me is the best way to prepare for the things that I just might bring back from the Philadelphia Flower Show. So, I had a chat with Kylie recently. Enjoy our little conversation and see what you can do to help the monarch population. Hi, Kylie. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Terry? Absolutely wonderful. Kylie, you wrote a book about the monarch, but because I know you, my listeners don't. Tell me who you are and, and your why. I am a retired dental hygienist. That's what I did for uh, 38 years. And when I got more time after the kids were all out of college and everything, I cut back on my work hours and I became a gardener. And I was really passionate about it because, you know, making up for lost time. And my kids, well, one of our daughters said, mom, you are so passionate about this. You need to start a blog. So I said, nah, I don't think I want to do that. And she just kept at me about it. So I did. That was in January of 2007. And I don't write on my blog regularly anymore, but I did for about 10, 11 years, something like that. Well, somewhere in there, I want to say 2000, I don't know. I, I got interested in the monarch butterfly, but what really, really got me interested in it was my mom and I had taken a trip to Delaware and we were in Pennsylvania and we decided to stop at the Flight 93 Memorial in Shanksville on our way home. Mm -hmm. And while we were at the garden there, my mom came up to me and she said, look what I found. And it was a monarch butterfly dead and it had this little tag on it. And I didn't know what that was about, nor did she, but we went on our way. I got home and I looked it up. There were numbers and letters on that little tag and a website to go to. And that took me to monarchwatch.org where I learned about the tagging program where they tag monarchs in the fall as they're migrating and they use the information that they get from those tags if they're found to learn all kinds of things about the migration. And that was fascinating to me. And of course, 
I'm a, I'm the kind of person who wants to know the who, why, where, what, when of everything. So I did a quite a bit of research and I learned about the monarch's life cycle, the migration, and it's an incredible insect like no other. And, you know, who, who knows why something grabs your heart, but the monarch did. And it really changed my life in the, in so many ways for the better. Um, I look at the environment differently. I look at insects differently. Um, it's influenced my actions in my garden. And of course, by writing the book that opened up the opportunities for a lot more, um, you know, creating awareness of, of just the problems that the monarch is having um, because they are in decline. Mm -hmm. And so that's so what's, kind what's of how I got be started. Doing? Yeah, what, what should we be doing about this now? Well, it, it's pretty simple, really. Um, we should absolutely be planting milkweed. If you want monarchs, you have to plant milkweed because that is the only plant that their caterpillars eat they're specialists. So if, if there's no milkweed, we will not have monarchs. And we also need to be planting a lot of nectar plants. And of course, when you do these things, you're not helping just the monarch, you're helping other pollinators as well. And so we need to do that. We need to cut back on our use of pesticides, insecticides, because, you know, I don't care if it's organic, if it's meant to kill, it will kill. And it's not usually discretionary. So, you know, those are the kind of things that we should be doing. We just need to increase the habitat, uh, you know, which gives the monarchs more opportunities to reproduce and that will get the numbers up. But, but there are things also that we can't control like climate change and that is affecting the monarch too, um, just like it is everything else. Um, but the things that we can do, we should be doing. And I, you know, I always tell people too, that if, you, if there's, if you can't have a garden, if you can't grow things, talk to other people, the creating awareness of the issues is probably number one, because if you don't know there's a problem, then you can't really do anything about it. Exactly. Exactly. So I recently heard that there was a serious decline and <clears throat> explain to me about the Eastern and Western decline of the monarch? We've been tracking monarchs since the early 90s as far as numbers go and what they do, how they measure the pop monarch population in general is that they take counts in the winter. There's an Eastern population. Those are the monarchs that are in Canada and the US and they travel to Mexico to a very specific spot in Mexico that they've never been before. And that's kind of the wonder of it all is, you know, how do, how do they know where to go? Because they go to the same place every year in central Mexico. And then there's the Western population, which is west of the Rocky Mountains. And those monarchs overwinter along the coast of California. And the Western population particularly has experienced a very, very severe decline. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm thinking that they, the numbers that they had this last winter, I think it's like down by 98% from just, Ooh. you know, 10 years ago or so. Wow. 
Yeah, and in fact, uh, one of the sanctuaries there where they do the count, they did not find any monarchs this winter. Now it's it's a little complicated because there are a lot of theories out there as to why it's so dire, you know, in California. They're suffering from the same issues that the Eastern population is. It's, it's habitat mainly, but they don't know if maybe because of climate change, because of the habitat issues that these monarchs are finding other places to overwinter or whether it's warming up enough that they aren't migrating anymore. They're becoming reproductive all year round. Um, that's what they're investigating out there. Now on the Eastern population, which is monarchs east of the Rockies, those numbers are down too. And how they measure those um, is by account also. They will take the coldest part of the winter, which is generally December, January in Mexico. And they will, they can't count all the monarchs individually because there's just too many, but they will look at how much land in area that they inhabit. You know, they cluster in the trees down there. So they will count it in hectares. Uh, they don't use acres there, they use hectares and they will count how many hectares those monarchs are occupying when they're not active. The colder it is, the less active they are. So that's when they do the count. And they compare that year to year. And it was down quite a bit this year uh, from last year. And, and you know the numbers go up and down every year, but since the 90s, it, they have gone generally down, down and down. Um, so, you know, that's you, the difference between the two. Do you think the, the same issues? Yeah, the same issues. Do you think that the increase in people gardening last year will make a difference? Oh, it will definitely make a difference. And I think the more that we get people planting for these monarchs and other pollinators, uh, that's definitely going to be a help. Um, because we don't, we don't have as much milkweed as we had before, you know, farmers don't want it in their fields and it used to grow there. And so if any, if there's any place that you can grow it, um, we should be doing that. Mm -hmm. Monarchs only have so much energy to give when they're looking for milkweed to lay their eggs on. And even the nectar, you know, they, the adult butterflies don't really need milkweed except for laying their eggs but they all, but they need food so flowering plants that provide nectar for them are very important and especially late in the season when they're migrating because they have to store those fats so that they can get through the winter that generation that migrates lives as long as eight months whereas the other monarchs that are born in the summer only live four to six weeks and so that's a very special generation. That's the basis for the following year's population. They need to arrive in Mexico fat and sassy <laughs> so that they can survive the winter down there and then make the return trip north. So I heard you, know, you went to Mexico. I lead tours to Mexico. So I've been there uh, five times now five years, mm. four years. We didn't go this year because of COVID, but we've got a trip planned for next February. 
and we go we take people down there into the sanctuaries where they can see the monarchs clustered and it's it's surreal it's i wish everybody could experience that once in their life because it's it's amazing i likened it to when i saw the total solar eclipse it was just kind of a oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh kind of moment you know <laughs> well i heard you found one of your friends down there well, they did this year. I participate in Monarch Watch's tagging program, and I have since 2015. But I have want none of mine have ever been found down there. And what happens is when when you tag these monarchs, when you release them in the fall, and they migrate and they get down there, a lot of them do die. I mean, that's just normal. So the local people will go into the sanctuaries and check on the forest floor to find any monarchs that might have tags on them and one of mine was found this year first one I've ever had found <laughs> I was so excited <laughs> oh, and wow. and of course I keep rec yeah I keep records and that monarch was well it was from an egg I found in my garden I brought it in my house raised it in my house fed it milkweed every day it formed its chrysalis it came out as a butterfly and I tagged it and released it it was a male and i released it on august 31st and in the spring monarch watch releases the identification numbers of all the monarchs that have been found um that they pay the local people there about five dollars for each tag so they just go in and check all the dead ones on the forest floor and they sell the tags back to monarch watch and then they will list those numbers and sure enough there was one of mine and i was so excited <laughs> yeah i would i mean i would have rather it had lived you know right. to make the trip back north but at least i knew that you know it came from northwest ohio and it flew all the way to mexico it made it there and that's amazing when you think yeah, about it that is. it is amazing so does that uh, help us identify how long they live? Well, we know how long they live, but you know there, there are all kinds of things that they can encounter on the way. And there are domestic recoveries too. I did have one this year, first one of that one. Um, I think it was like 10 days after I had released it, it was spotted alive and nectaring in somebody's garden in another county south of us in Ohio. Oh, so. Wow. I know, I know that was pretty cool. And, and like I said, that one was alive. They just took a picture and the numbers showed up. And so that one continued on. And I don't know, that one might've made it too. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't know, but. So how did, it, how did it feel when you tagged your first Monarch? Uh, you know, I was a little nervous because you think about a butterfly being really fragile, but I yeah. learned that they're not as fragile as they seem. And so it wasn't difficult to do. Um, I just sent it off with hopes that it would make it and maybe be reported. Um, I'll tell you, the most emotional I got was the very first monarch that I raised, which was several years before that. And when I let it go, and it was in the fall, so it was a migrator. And I, when I let it go, I went outside and I, it was on perched on my finger and I just put my hand up and it took off. And I, I got kind of emotional because, you know, I raised that in my house from an egg mm. and I, I just said, have a good flight. 
knowing it was needing to fly over 2000 miles. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that I got emotional about that one. Yeah, I can understand. That's like letting your children go. You exactly, know? exactly. And you mm. know, when I when I the first time I was in Mexico, and I looked up at those, you know, thousands of monarchs clustered in the trees there, I thought, to myself, I thought, I know my monarchs are up there, <laughs> you know, in my heart, in my heart, I believed it. Well, because one was found, I know they were. And that's, mm -hmm. that's an incredible feeling when you're in Mexico, knowing where those monarchs started out. They start out as far north as Canada. Mm. It's just wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is wild. So your book, what made mm -hmm. you decide there needs to be a book about this. There are a lot of books out there about butterflies. There are a lot of books about monarchs, but as I was educating myself, mm -hmm. I found that I needed to go to numerous sources to find out the information that I wanted, basic information. And that's okay. You know, I love research, so that was okay. But I thought there needs to be a book that has all of that information in one spot. So that people who are getting started or even people who have been doing this a while, because my book contains a lot, it, it contains basic information, but there's a lot of in-depth information too. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I'm just going to gather it all and anything that anybody would want to know about monarchs, how to raise them, how to tag them, what to, you know, what to plant for them, the predators that are in the garden that they, you know, try to fight against. Um, the kinds of milkweed, what milkweeds are native to my state, all those kinds of things are in that book. So it's kind of a one-stop shop kind of monarch book. Mm -hmm. um, I meant I meant to write it as a handbook for people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the feedback that I've gotten, I think I accomplished that. Mm -hmm. Anytime I hear from someone and they say, oh, your book is so helpful and I gave it to a library or I gave it to a teacher, and, you know, because it's really good for those kinds of places. That makes me feel good because that was my goal, just to spread the information. Yeah, it is. It's a great handbook, I will tell you. And it is very concise in the information that is shared. And I think now, because we've had this period of unintentional pausing, it's the perfect time to read a book like this to make sure that we are planting the right thing and that we are watching out for the monarchs. How should we share with our children the importance of the monarch? The monarch is just one insect, of course, but because they're so beautiful and people generally love butterflies, it's the perfect insect to introduce children to the cycle of life and how, you know, we are charged with taking care of the earth. And this is a, a hands-on way that kids can understand just how fragile life is how it works because i i'm a firm believer that if the more you know the more you care mm -hmm. and the more you care the more you'll be motivated to do whatever you can to sustain all life on earth um, we're not we're not us and them you know we're all connected and i think that the monarch is a very very good ambassador to show kids firsthand how that all works and kids are, kids are amazing. The teachers are doing a pretty good job. I, I talked to 
um, when I talk to kids, they all say, oh, we raised a monarch in my third grade class or, you know, so the teachers are, are doing a pretty good job from what I can tell, uh, introducing the kids to that. But it's also something that a family can do. You know, the older kids can show the younger kids. I mean, I, I taught my grandkids when they were not even two years old yet. And, you know, they understood, you know, in their basic way, they understood and they can tell you now, now they're like eight, six and five. And they can tell you more, of course, I'm their grandma, but they can tell you more about the monarch than most adults know. Um, because kids just, they just drink it up. You know, they, they're really like little sponges and um, it's fascinating. And it's something they can do. They can take That's part true. in that. Yeah. So if we were to suggest three plants that people should grow this year, what would they be? Well, first of all, milkweed, you need milkweed. And there are several different kinds. In my book, I, I list all the different kinds of monarch or milkweeds that there are native in the US and the states that they're native to. Probably the most common one in, at least in the Eastern part of the US is, is common milkweed, but there's also swamp milkweed and whorled milkweed and various different kinds. And you can, you can grow them from seed. The thing with a lot of the perennial milkweeds is that they need cold, moist stratification in order to have a good germination rate of those seeds. So the ideal time to plant those seeds is in the fall, but you can mimic that. And, and I won't go into it here, but plastic bag, paper towel, refrigerator for six mm -hmm. to eight weeks. You can, you can Google how to do that. Um, and it's, it's easy and that helps with the germination. You can direct sow the seeds now, you just won't probably get as good a germination as you will with some seeds. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, milkweeds, but you can buy them by plant. A lot of the, the garden centers are carrying milkweed now. So I would say if they have them, make sure when you get them that you know for sure that the garden center is not using any chemicals on those plants because yep. If they are, the monarchs are still going to lay their eggs on there. But when those caterpillars eat those treated plants, that's not good. They will not survive. Mm -hmm. um, but most, most garden centers are pretty aware of all that. But I would make sure and ask when you exactly. buy them. Yes. And then, and then, of course, like I said, if you want to bring the monarchs in, yes, you need milkweed. But the, what might attract them more would be the flowering plants for nectar. Because as I said, the adult monarch needs nectar to live. Mm -hmm. So that would might bring them in. And then if they find milkweed, they, the females may stay and lay eggs on it. Mm -hmm. So I would say, oh, I mean, there's several perennials, but um, you know, cone flowers, they, they will nectar at cone flowers. Mm -hmm. uh, annual things like cosmos and zinnias, uh, all, you know, those bloom all summer. They love those. So, you know, anything that's, that blooms like that and blooms well into the fall would be, would be good to plant. So if you have the perennial plants that are blooming, mm -hmm. um, that, that are nectaring, right. um, will monarchs find it again the next season? 
Like, will they, they know that your yard has plants that are going to, that they well, can feed from? No, because those are, those are different monarchs. You know, by the okay. time they get to us, that generation that, let's say, you know, leaves in the fall and they go all the way to Mexico and then they start back north. When they reach Texas and the lower tiered states in the U.S., they will lay the eggs and then they die. So, so it's their offspring that then continues further north and then they will lay eggs and then those will continue. They're as far north as they're gonna go, the second, I think it's the second generation in Canada um, by the first week, first or second week of June. And then they just hang around and they reproduce, but no, they won't, they're not like birds that migrate where you might have the same birds come back to the same area. Mm -hmm. um, but they're pretty good at detecting, you know, where their food sources are. So if you have a pretty good patch or even just a few, it depends on what's in your area. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if you have a lot of people that have gardens in your area, the chances are better that they're going to come to that area. But if your garden is this little oasis out in the middle of farm fields, like mine is, they'll find it mm -hmm. because they, you know, they'll, they'll go until they find it. If someone was gardening in a community garden space, mm -hmm. if there was an unused plot, would you just throw some zinnias and cosmos in there? Is that going to really affect the yield and perhaps provide a learning environment for the children that garden there? Yeah, because you're gonna, and, and you're not only gonna see monarchs when you do that, you're gonna see other butterflies and other insects. You know, you get, if you get up and up close and personal that there's a whole ecosystem of insects that make use of these plants for food or, you know. So I that's what I would do. I would plant blooming flowers. And again, get, get some milkweed in there. Yeah. Um, the, the mix of all of that would be wonderful. Yeah. And of course, you know, they're pollinators. So exactly. when you, even, even though you've got maybe vegetables in a community garden plot, you, you grow the flowers, you're going to bring in pollinators. So that's right. going to help your vegetables too. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Kylie, your book, The Monarch, Saving Our Most Loved Butterfly, is available just about everywhere, right? It is. And I actually have signed copies available in my Etsy shop um, too. So what's your Etsy shop called? It's called Folio and Focus. And if someone can't find it, they can just do a search for the title of my book uh, or they can contact me. I'm very active on Facebook and they can just private message me and I can get them that information too. Okay, great. Well, thank you for spending a little time with me today. And uh, number one, I'm going to convince my community garden leader that that empty plot back there is going to be our insectary. And number two, I'm going to uh, continue to sow zinnias and cosmos for my garden here in Maryland. Thank you so much, Kylie. Good for you. Thank you, Terry. Well, I sure hope Kylie gave everyone something to think about. Did you know that May is Garden for Wildlife Month? The National Wildlife Federation is awesome, let me tell you. There are so many activities that they have 
And what's exciting is this year, they are offering a plant for wildlife kit. It's a questionnaire. You put in your information and you get to choose. And since today's topic was about monarchs, there's a Monarch Munchable six-piece starter set, as well as a Monarch Munchable 12-pack Mighty Mix. If you're interested in doing your part to increase the Monarch population, check out gardenforwildlife.org. I'm sure you'll find something that you probably need for this year's garden. In the meantime, I want to say thank you for continuing to follow me. My website, cottageinthecourt.com, Instagram and Twitter, Cottage in Court, Facebook, Cottage in the Court, and just as a reminder, don't forget to buy your tickets for the flower show. There are timed tickets and there will be social distancing and you must wear a mask. Come on, gardeners. We've been waiting for this moment. Let's show up and be safe and return inspired to plant our gardens up. Enjoy. Enjoy.